Let me ask you to take out your Bibles with me. Let's open them again to the book of Romans in chapter 8 as we continue our verse-by-verse study of this great letter and of this great chapter. Today our focus is verse 16, Romans 8 verse 16, but we're going to read our paragraph beginning in verse 12. Let me remind you that this is the Word of God. Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are not debtors. Sorry. (laughs) So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. <clears throat> well, this morning we are dealing with the issue of assurance. How can we know that we are Christians? How can we know that when we take our last breath, we will find ourselves in the presence of Christ. How can we know that after death we will find ourselves overwhelmed by God's love in heaven and not overwhelmed by His wrath in hell? How can we have confidence concerning our state with God? How can we have assurance of salvation? The struggle for assurance is a very common struggle among Christians. Uh, I've spoken often about my own struggle during my middle school and early high school years, how they were pervaded by this struggle for assurance. I had been taught to pray a certain prayer in order to be saved. I, I prayed that prayer a thousand times over and over again. But what I wanted was some kind of security, some kind of sense in my heart that I was truly God's. And the revival speakers would come around and they would say, do you know that you know that you know that you know that when you stand before God in heaven that he will let you in? And I would always become uneasy and say, well, I don't know that I know that I know. I'm, I'm just not absolutely sure. And it was a struggle that was not just unique to me. It was common among most of my peers. I had a neighbor that lived across the street, and it seemed like she would recommit her life to Christ at every service that we had, all in this quest to have some assurance. I have no doubt that there are many in this room who have wrestled with this particular issue. Perhaps some of you in this room are still wrestling with this question. How can I be sure? How can I know that I am saved? 
When it comes to our salvation, there are two kinds of doubting that we can have. The first is doubting God. This is a lack of assurance that comes from doubting that God can or will save his people. Someone might say, I am trusting Christ to save me, but I'm not sure that he can. Or, I'm not sure that he will. Is God able? Is God willing? Well, as we just sung about, he is both able and willing. This kind of doubting flies right in the face of the scriptures. As for God's ability to save us, we have verses like this. 1 Timothy 1.12 I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the last day that which has been entrusted to me. He is able. John 10, uh, 27-30 My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Is God able to save his people? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is a good shepherd. He will not lose one of all that the Father has given to him. He is able to save. But what about God being willing to save? We sing a number of hymns that were written by William Cooper, the man who wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood, for example. Uh, Cooper went through these times of depression and doubting when he would actually say that he believed that God was willing to save every other person on earth that believed and repented except for him. He believed he was the one exception that God could save any sinner, but that he could never be saved, that God would not do it. He was unwilling. But the Bible speaks very clearly about God's willingness to save anyone and everyone who comes to him in humble faith. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when someone is doubting their salvation because they are doubting God, that he is able or that he is willing, we have an easy, clear answer for them. We can bring to them the teaching of the word of God. We can point them to these passages of scripture and we can say, believe, turn from your unbelief in these verses. God is clear. He is willing and he is able. Do not doubt any longer. But there is another kind of doubting. And I think this is the doubting that plagues most Christians at some point or another in their lives. This kind of doubting isn't questioning that God can save. This kind of doubting isn't even questioning that God will save his people. It's the doubting of, but am I one of his people? Have I really believed? Have I really repented? This is not doubting God. This is doubting yourself. It's doubting your own faith. Doubting your own repentance. Doubting the state of your own soul. 
Could it be that I have deluded myself? Could all of my faith and repentance one day prove to have been false? Could it be that I will stand before Christ on the last day and hear those terrifying words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Is this you? Are there some here today who would say, I don't doubt that God can or will save his people. I just don't know that I'm one of them. Well, Mount Hermon, the kind of assurance that we see presented in our passage is this kind. The assurance that we are children of God. Romans 8 verse 16 teaches that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we truly are his children. What do we learn from this important verse? I'm going to give you a number of points of truths that we see in verse 16. Number one is this. We learn that assurance is possible. Assurance of salvation is possible. I know there are some who deny this. There are some who believe that assurance of salvation is not something that you can have in this life. They say, I hope I'm saved, but I'll find out after I die. We've talked before about Romania and how there it is widely believed that no one can really know their standing before God. You see, they are a part of Eastern Orthodoxy. Eastern Orthodoxy has 250 million adherents. And these 250 million people are taught by their leaders that the best you can do in this life is be as faithful as you can and hope for the best. But you can't really know whether you are saved in this life. Life is an exam. And when you die, you will find out from the teacher whether you passed or not. But friends, this view is very contrary to the Bible The Bible says that the assurance of salvation is something available to Christians. In fact, the assurance of salvation is not presented as something only for super-Christians. Rather, the assurance of salvation is presented in our verse as a part of the normal ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of ordinary Christians. One of the works that the Spirit is doing And the lives of ordinary Christians is cultivating and granting assurance. In 1 John 5.13, the Apostle John says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. John is saying that if we take to heart the things that are written in the pages of Scripture, we can know that we have eternal life. 2 Peter 1.10 Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, Peter says there are steps that you can take to confirm your calling and your election. We are to be diligent in living the kind of life that breeds assurance. We are to be diligent 
in living the kind of life that gives us great grounds for assurance. Dear friends, the assurance of salvation is something that you can have. And I pray that many of you do have it, even now. The second truth we see in our verse is that this assurance is given by the Holy Spirit. Here is the source of true assurance. The Holy Spirit's witness within us. This is very important. Um, I know there were days when evangelists would tell people to, to pray the sinner's prayer. And then they would tell people to write down the date and the time on a card and keep it in your wallet. And they would say, whenever you doubt your salvation, take out your wallet and find that card. And look at that date and time and remember you are saved. Or I heard, or heard revival speakers say it this way. Pray this prayer and then go home and take a stake and, and put it into your backyard. And every time you begin to doubt your salvation, go out and look at that stake. And you can be sure that you are saved. Friends, the Bible never talks like that. Those things are not a good grounds for assurance Lots of people have prayed prayers and made decisions for Jesus and were not truly converted. Our verse teaches that there is one true source of assurance and he is the Holy Spirit of God. He bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. In verse 15, it was our own spirits crying out, Abba, Father, when we pray, we approach God as children. We call on Him as our Father. But why can we approach God as our Father? How can we know that He is our Father and that we are His children? Answer, it's the Holy Spirit's work within us, giving us this assurance that we are His. This is a subjective work. It's a subjective work. It is something that happens within you. The Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit. The spirit within us speaks in a mysterious, supernatural way to our own souls, causing us to know that we are God's. We've seen this before in Romans 5, 5, which we read together just a few moments ago, where Paul says, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If our hope is false, if our hope proves untrue, if we're looking forward to heaven but we're not actually going there, that's a hope that's going to put us to shame. But Paul says that our hope will not put us to shame because our hope that we are going to heaven is on good grounds. And what are the grounds that Paul points to so that we can hope that we're going to heaven and not be put to shame? So that we can hope that we're going to heaven and go there? He says, here's your grounds. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad in your very heart the love of your Father for you so that you know you are His and He is yours. Assurance of salvation is possible. And it comes to us subjectively through the Holy Spirit bearing witness within us. This shouldn't surprise us. There are other aspects of the Christian life that work this way. 
You know that you're a Christian the same way you know that the Bible is true. The same way that you know that Jesus is glorious. I can give you fact after fact after fact about the Bible being true. I can give you fact after fact after fact about the life, death, and ministry of Jesus. But what really won your heart and made you a Christian was that the Holy Spirit bore witness within you and gave you eyes to see. It is the Spirit's inward mysterious work that converts souls. And in the same way, it is the Spirit's inner mysterious work that grants assurance. Now, you probably have lots of questions. Let me mention three sub-points about the Spirit's work of giving assurance and how the Spirit does this. Number one, so this is 2.1 or 2A. Number one, this assurance is given sovereignly. This assurance is given sovereignly. In other words, it is the prerogative of the Spirit to give and take away assurance in your life. The Holy Spirit has authority over you and has the right to grant you a sense of assurance. And the Holy Spirit has the authority and right to take away your sense of assurance. When you read the testimonies of Christians from past centuries you learn that it has been very common in the lives of Christians. For them to have seasons when assurance was full and their confidence before God was strong. And even in the best Christians, there were seasons of their lives when their assurance was, was less strong. Seasons when God seemed far away. Seasons when even they doubted whether they had ever truly believed. It is the Holy Spirit who gives assurance, and it's not something He owes to us. He gives it graciously. He gives it mercifully. And He gives it as He sees fit, when He sees fit, to the degree that He sees fit. When the Spirit takes our sense of assurance away, we can be sure that He has a good purpose. Will we trust God's Word even when our sense of assurance is gone? Might he be taking away our sense of assurance in order to propel us again to the cross of Christ to look afresh at our Savior? There are times when for our spiritual growth, times when for our good, the Spirit will take away our sense of assurance. But there are also wonderful times, wonderful times when he grants assurance. Indeed, this is the normal default experience of a Christian who has walked with Christ for any length of time. Assurance is something that the Spirit typically chooses to give, and He only withholds it when He deems it necessary for it to be withheld. It is His gift to give, and He gives it according to His sovereign will. Second, the Holy Spirit gives this assurance in connection with our sanctification. The Holy Spirit gives this assurance in connection with our sanctification. Remember, sanctification is that great work of God by which he is making us holy. He's growing us up. He's maturing us. He's making us strong and fitting us for heaven. Christians in this room, your sanctification began the very moment the Spirit gave you a new heart. The very moment the Holy Spirit came into your soul. 
and changed you. That was the day your process of sanctification began. That very day you were set apart. That very day you were made different from other people in this world. But now God is continuing to set you apart more and more by cleaning you, by purifying you, by making you holy. It's a hard process. It's a long process. And we don't make much gain in this life. But it is a process we're in. It is as you go through this process that the Spirit gives or takes away assurance of salvation. Think about this for a moment, and I think you will see that this is true. When did you first have a sense in your heart that you really belonged to God? Was it not the day that the Holy Spirit first came into your life and made you new and brought you to faith in Jesus as your Savior? Wasn't the first day of your sanctification, the first day that you believed on Christ, wasn't that also the first day that you ever had any real assurance that Jesus was yours? Now catch this principle because it's important. As your faith grows, so does your assurance. The more you behold Christ's glory, the more you behold the wonders of God in His Word, the more you see the faithfulness of God to you as He answers your prayers and walks with you through trial after trial, the more assurance you are typically given. You see, the Holy Spirit uses means. He uses real things to cultivate assurance in your life. So let me ask you a question. Which Christian would you expect to have the greatest sense of assurance? Which Christian? There's Christian A. Let's call him Alex. Alex has only been a Christian for a few weeks. He's a new Christian. He is very excited about following Christ, but he's also just beginning his spiritual walk. Then there's Christian B. Let's call her Beth. Beth has walked with Christ for years. She has been battling against sin for years. She has experienced walking with Christ through health trials, relationship trials, money trials. And she has seen how Christ really did help her to go through these trials. She has seen that God has been faithful to her. Which Christian would you expect to have the most assurance in their heart? And of course the answer would be Beth, right? She's grown, her faith has grown. She's seen God's faithfulness to her and the Spirit uses this to give her more assurance. Now remember, the Spirit is sovereign in this matter. The Spirit has the right to give Alex more assurance than Beth if he chooses. At the end of the day, it's his prerogative. But in general, the Spirit's typical way is to give assurance in connection with our sanctification. It, the more ignorant we are of the word, the less time we're spending in prayer, the more disconnected we are from God's people, the more you should expect not to have assurance of your salvation. Whereas the more time you spend in the Word, the more time you spend connected to God's people, the more time you spend in prayer, the more you should expect, generally speaking, for the Spirit to grant you that assurance of salvation because He uses these means. 
the more you endure trials, the more you are tested, and the more your faith is refined and proven true over time, the more likely you are to have a real sense in your soul that you are God's. This is why Peter told us to make our calling and election sure. He told us to make it sure. Yes, it is the Spirit that gives assurance, but that doesn't change our responsibility to pursue assurance. And how do we pursue assurance? Peter says, supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with steadfastness and your steadfastness with godliness and your godliness with brotherly affection and your brotherly affection with love. If you pursue these qualities, you will never fall and you can confirm your calling and election. In other words, he says, as you grow in holiness, as you grow in faith, as you grow in love, these are means that the Spirit will use to give you a greater assurance. And then this leads to a third essential point about how the Holy Spirit gives assurance. He does so in connection with the Word of God. He does so in connection with the Word of God. It is usually through the Word that the Spirit gives or takes away assurance. Matthew Henry says this. Matthew Henry says, Those that are sanctified have God's Spirit witnessing with their spirits, which is to be understood not of any immediate extraordinary revelation, not a vision, not a dream, not you're hearing the Spirit audibly, not like that. Rather, this is an ordinary work of the Spirit in and by the means of comfort, speaking peace to the soul. And this testimony is always agreeable to the written word and is therefore always grounded upon sanctification for the spirit in the heart cannot contradict the spirit in the word. In other words, the spirit uses the word to give or take away assurance. Listen to this statement. See what you think about it. The spirit works through warnings in the Bible to remove invalid assurance. The Spirit works through warnings in the Bible to remove invalid assurance. There is such a thing as invalid assurance, unfortunately. There are many who live today with an inward sense that they are God's children and the assurance is not given by the Holy Spirit of God. They are deceived. They have an assurance of salvation that they ought not to have because they do not trust Christ. They do not love Christ. He is not the treasure of their soul. There will be some who stand before Christ on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And they will hear Christ the judge say, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So one of the great ministries of the Spirit, and it's a gracious ministry, it's a loving ministry of the Spirit, is he uses the warnings of the Bible to shake complacent people awake. To take these people who have a false assurance and to strip that false assurance away. He does this for unbelievers. Consider a couple. Comes to church one morning. We'll call them Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They do not typically come to church, but they decided to come today. Maybe it's Christmas or Easter. 
but they believe themselves to be Christians. They don't really doubt their salvation. They, they're generally decent people. They were baptized as children, and they just assume that they're fine. However, on closer inspection, we begin to see some bad signs. Mr. Smith has a habit of drinking too much. In fact, he stays drunk most weekends. If you ask him, he says, it's not a big deal. It's just the way I relax. It's just the way I am. Mrs. Smith is full of jealousy. She thinks it's a small thing. It's it's not a big deal to her. But the truth is, there are people in her life that she envies greatly, and she isn't content with what she has. But these things seem small in their eyes, and they have every confidence in their heart. Oh, we're Christians. We're good people. We're Christians. And they sit in that service, and and maybe on this particular Sunday morning, the preacher opens up, and he reads from Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and here is what the preacher reads. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Spirit could choose not to work at all, and it just bounces off of them, they don't even hear it. And they leave still thinking, we're fine. But the Spirit could choose to use that warning from Scripture to strip away their false assurance and to say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you're in trouble and you need a Savior. So the Spirit uses Scripture. He uses the warnings. And the Spirit doesn't just do this for unbelievers. Even after we're Christians, the Spirit uses the warnings in the Bible this way. Maybe someone in here has been dabbling with jealousy. Maybe someone in here has been dabbling about with drunkenness. The Spirit uses the warnings of the Bible to say to you, if you keep going down those paths, I'm going to take away your assurance of salvation. I am not going to let you be full of jealousy and confident you're a Christian. I'm going to use these warnings to take away your assurance. The Spirit will often take away our assurance and leave us doubting as a form of discipline to put us on our face in repentance before the cross of Christ. When we sin, the warning passages of the Bible become a means that the Spirit uses to rip away our assurance until we repent and renew ourselves to faith in Christ. And in this way, the Spirit keeps God's people saved. Consider this statement. The Spirit works through the promises of Scripture to strengthen those who are needlessly doubting. The Spirit works through the promises of Scripture to strengthen those who are needlessly doubting. Maybe there's a Christian here and you are doubting your salvation when you ought not to be. You really are seeking to follow Christ. 
There really is trust in your heart in Jesus. There is a real hatred of sin in your heart. But maybe the devil or maybe some sort of false teaching has led you to to doubt yourself. Well, the Spirit speaks to you through the promises of the Bible to give you assurance. Maybe this Christian is feeling so deeply the weight of his own sin that he thinks like William Cooper, there's just no way that I can be a Christian. And then the Spirit speaks through Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that person thinks for a moment, in spite of all of his sin, he says, you know what, I do confess Jesus is Lord. And I do believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I will be saved. You see how the Spirit works? He uses the promises of the Bible to give assurance to those who need it. And so the Spirit uses the warnings and He uses the promises of Scripture to give and to take away assurance when needed. Nod your head if you're still with me so far. Okay. Three points of application. This is going to be quick. We're just going to close with this. Three quick points of application for the person in this room who might be longing for assurance. Number one, this verse teaches that you should pray for assurance. Why? Because it's the Spirit who gives it. And the Spirit loves to give assurance according to God's sovereign will and therefore pray that God would be pleased to give you assurance. Ask and you shall receive Pray that God would do whatever is necessary in your life to give you assurance of your salvation. If there is sin that he needs to draw your attention to, that needs to be repented of, pray that he would show it to you. If there are passages in the Bible that are ripe and ready to give you the words that you need to hear to give you a sense of peace, pray that he would direct your attention to them. Pray that God, who has infinite means at his disposal, would use his sovereign power to give you a true assurance of your salvation. Number two, see the value of meaningful church membership. Of meaningful church membership. Why do I say that? I always say this when we talk about assurance of salvation. Because I happen to think that meaningful church membership is one of the greatest means the Spirit uses to grant assurance. Why? Well, we just said that the more you grow in Christ, typically the more assurance you're going to have. But here's the problem. Sometimes we can't tell when we're growing in Christ. In fact, one of the marks of somebody who's growing is that their sin seems bigger than it ever has before. Sometimes the person who is really maturing in Christ, all they see now is the heinousness of their own sin, and they say, like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. It takes other people to look into your life and to say, you have really grown. I have seen that your faith is stronger than it used to be. I have seen how how you understand the word in ways you didn't used to. I've seen, I've listened to the way you pray when we're together in church. I can hear your tenderness for God and the things of God. You've grown. Church membership, when we grant it, is our way of testifying that we have seen evidence that this person is a child of God. 
And when that person stops showing evidence that he or she's a child of God, we remove that membership. So that when that person is beginning to doubt their salvation, and they say, I just don't know that I'm a Christian or not, they can look to their membership and say, my brothers and sisters have seen this in me. My brothers and sisters in Christ, who are more objective than I, have seen evidence of the gospel in my life. The Spirit can use that as an incredible means of grace when we need it desperately. And I think it's one of the most valuable parts of church membership. Number three. Oh, I had more to say on that. Let's see. Later, okay. Number three. Whenever you begin to doubt your salvation, there is always one immediate thing to do. And that's to run to Christ afresh. Anytime the Spirit removes assurance from your heart, it is for this gospel purpose. To draw you to Christ anew. Doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It just means that he is propelling you to run to the cross again and to see what your Savior did for you there and to cause you to call upon him in faith afresh. Anytime you begin to doubt your salvation, turn from your sins and cast yourself upon the mercy of God in Christ. Our assurance of salvation does not come from something we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. Our assurance comes from knowing I am trusting Christ now and he is faithful and he will not let me down. That's where our assurance comes from. It's a present reality. Our assurance comes from knowing that right now I am trusting Christ and therefore I am his and he is mine. I am trusting Christ as far as I know to be able to trust Christ. And he's not out to deceive me. He's not out to to make me think I'm doing it right when I'm not. No, he's a tender savior. He's a tender shepherd. He loves to save. He's not out to play games with us. He's not out to play games with your soul. Think of him that way. Trust him as best you know how. And then take confidence in his word. He is yours and you are his. When we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, we can be sure of our salvation. There is no safer place to be. And so I would call us all to cast ourselves afresh on Christ and to pray that his spirit would bear witness with our spirits that we are indeed children of God. Amen? Let's pray.